Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Amen. Well, do you believe the King is coming? Amen. All right. More importantly, is He coming for you? Amen. All right. Well, open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation in the 16th chapter. Uh, if you did not grab one, we've uh, got these note takers. I would encourage everyone, if you don't have one, if you'll just raise your hand and we'll have one brought up to you. So, all right, I see a couple hands out there. Hold them up just another second so we can. So we got a couple over here, Louie, and then one all the way up over here. Okay, how about this? I'll just make it easy on you, Cindy. All right. So, um, last week I had one of the most uplifting messages to preach on the wrath of God. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, I felt the same way. And, um, but the reality is, that's coming. The king is coming, and he's got a couple things he's going to set in store. And uh, you, you heard a little bit of that, week, that last week. And each week I have reminded you of three principles. And these three principles are this. Number one is, don't take my word for it. All right, yes, I put a lot of study into this. Yes, I've uh, put the effort in. But, you know, when you stand before the Lord, He's not going to ask you, you know, how'd I preach? You know, did you agree with what I said? What He's going to ask you is, did you study to show yourself approved? And so, uh, don't take my word for it. Uh, take uh, Paul's word and study to show yourself approved. The second thing we need to remember, and this is very important, especially for those who listen to this message 20 years from now, should the Lord tarry that long, um, and that is everything when we look into the future, and that's exactly what the, the book of Revelation is doing, when we look into the future, we need to look into that with context, context on how we understand and see things. I shared with you the very first week when Daniel said, in those days, people will run to and fro. Well, as Daniel thought of it, you know, people were running to and fro. He wasn't talking about marathons. He was just talking about travel would increase, but he didn't know how to explain airplanes and how to explain uh, modern uh, vehicles. And so he used the terminology, run to and fro. Um, there's another uh, statement that he made, and that was knowledge would increase. And we have absolutely no idea what that really means. You know, if you are into technology, you probably understand that now I think it's that every six months, technology doubles. All right? And what that means is you should be able to buy the same computer for half the price six months from now. The problem is you can't, all right? And, and they don't do that that way. And instead, what they do is they put a lot more stuff into the computer and make you pay the, the same price as before, even though it costs them less to, to make that technology. And we need to understand that in the context. For example, 
um, there is a, a terminology in technology called singularity. And this is, I believe, one of the major players when it comes to the end times. Okay, and what singularity means is this. Uh, has anyone ever played around years ago with that program, uh, Dragon Speaking? You know, and so basically you could talk into a computer and it would type it up onto the computer for you. And um, those of you that did that, was it really good? I mean, it worked just perfectly, didn't it? No, it didn't. Matter of fact, you had to go back and retype half the stuff when it first started out. But the technology is there now that they can actually put an implant uh, in your, close to your ear where you would speak one language and the person with that implant would hear their language as you're speaking it. And then they would speak back to you in their language and you wouldn't hear their language, you would hear your language, what you understand. Because isn't that what God did at the Tower of Babel is he dispersed the people? Why? He said because if they were all of one language, nothing could stop them from the, what they desired to do on the earth. Well, folks, things are going to change and things are going to get back to uh, Noah's days, going to get back to the Tower of Babel days, and you're going to find out that there's a technology called singularity. Uh, Google that sometime, not now, um, but Google that sometime. Um, although if I do see you on your phone, I'm just going to assume you're on version and you're following along because all of my notes are uh, there. All right. Um, for those of you with smartphones, at least that way you know when we're getting to the end. All right. Everyone else, it's just faith. You know, you know he's got to stop sooner or later. Um, but those with version, uh, you get you know exactly when it's about the, the plane's going to land. All right, and then the third part of this was the whole council. And what I mean by that is, we don't just take Revelation when we study eschatology. We take Genesis through Revelation. Because everything that was pronounced in uh, Genesis is fulfilled in Revelation. And the things that we don't understand in Revelation, if you go back to Genesis, uh, they make a little better sense. All right, so those are the three things I want you to keep in your back pocket. Let's uh, pray. Lord, uh, be with me, be with the message that you have given me. Lord, I pray that you would just prepare the hearts to receive it. And God, if there's any here tonight that, that are not prepared for your coming, Lord, that, that they would make that decision before they leave. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be uh, inspired to see more people come to know you, Lord. The time is short, and we know that you're coming soon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, well, last week I talked to you about the seven bowls of God's wrath. Now, when I, I talked about the seven, I only intentionally went through five of those, all right? And so I want to start this week with um, the sixth one. And so, but let me just recap for those that were here and those that uh, weren't. This is a great sermon for you to be at because... If you look at that graphic, you'll see there's a green line there. And now today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through all seven bowls. I'm going to go through all seven seals, and I'm going to go through all seven trumpets. And before 3 o'clock, we'll be home. <laughs> I promise. All right? Um, and, and if you'll notice, every time that I put a slide up like this, at the seven bowls, after the sixth bowl, there's a pause. And every one of these, there's a pause. And so I don't know if you realize this, but in this 10-week series, last week was week what? It was week six. And so what comes after week six in the, in, in the way that this is happening? A pause. And so what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pause this week, and I'm going to kind of help us um, 
get a, a good grasp of that Daniel 70th week, of everything that's been happening. Matter of fact, if you've got that note taker, turn it over on the back, and I've got that, that uh, graphic of this entire time. I'm going to walk you through that entire piece so that you're going you're to know what it all stands for, what lines mean, what words mean, what the references are referring to. And so when you leave here today, you will be caught up if, you've, if you feel like, have you left here any Sundays like, oh my goodness, that was way too much information, all right? I left a couple times thinking I needed another hour, um, but that's what we have going deeper on Tuesday nights, and so we go for 90 minutes into this. And it has been a phenomenal blessing. I pray that those that have been coming on Tuesday nights, that they have been receiving a blessing from this. And um, I, I challenge you, if you don't have anything going on on Tuesday at 7 p.m., join us. The address is in the uh, uh, upcoming events. Uh, we would love to have you there. And I think, I think you'll be blessed uh, by that. All right, so uh, this week is a week of Paul's. And what I want to do is I want to... I've been talking about all of this, but now what I want to do is kind of bring it all together. Uh, I think of uh, this, uh, matter of fact, I think it was yesterday morning, um, I made the mistake. We've got our two grandsons here. We've had them uh, uh, since Thursday evening. And, um, I, you know, my son told me, he says, you know, be careful with the Play-Doh. And I'm like, step aside. Pops has got this. All right, and, and I decided I wasn't going to just let them play with one color. I decided I was going to let them play with not just two colors. I decided I was going to let them play with three colors. All right, and now I know how the rainbow is made. And, uh, and then I made the mistake, Carrie doesn't even know this yet, but I made the mistake of we took the table off of the nicest carpet we have in the house. All right, and, and so they would, they would play on the, away from it, and they would never get anywhere near that carpet, would they? Yeah, yeah. but if you see my grandson running around, he's the one with the rain uh, boots on. Um, he's had those on since we bought them. Um, he only takes them off when he's asleep, and I take them off. Um, and so uh, he stepped in one of the colors and walked all over that carpet. Yes, so I've vacuumed it a couple times since then, and I'm hoping it dries enough that it all come out. But that, that's not what I'm here to tell you. What I'm here to tell you is that, uh, you know, sometimes we just get things all kinds of mixed up. And, you know, I mean, I can see that that's yellow, but how do I separate that from the red and the blue and get them back in the same containers, all right? And now I understand what my son was telling me or, or trying to warn me very kindly um, so let's go to the seven bowls, and let me just remind you what the first five were. The first um, in Revelation 16, 2, I won't read most of these passages, but you've got the verses there. I challenge you to go and dig into this. But there was a plague on food. It does not call it a plague on food. It says that the plague, the bowl was poured on the earth, and then those that had the mark of the beast got some kind of sores, and we call them boils, but um, it was some kind of a sore. I believe that this was poured onto the food source, um, and that all because who's the only ones who could buy food to eat? Those with the mark of the beast, and they are going to be buying up that uh, the whatever that bowl of wrath is looks like. That's how they're going to, I believe, get those um, sores. And then if you go to the next one, that the bowl was poured onto the salt waters and it's turned into blood. And it didn't say just a part of it, which is I'm going to share with you in, in one of the trumpets, but it says the entire salt water is turned into blood. It didn't say it looked like blood, it says it's turned into blood. And what happened to every living creature in the, the sea? It died. 
All right. Now, if all your food sources on land dry up, where are we going to go to? We're going to the coast, right? And we're going, to, we're going to start fishing, and that's where we're going to get our food. Well, when that happens and that's gone, where are we going to? Well, we're going to go to the freshwater um, streams, and you'll see the third plague was a plague on the freshwater. And that bowl was poured out, and all the rivers and streams turned into blood. And all that was in that died. And then the fourth plague was the plague on the sun, where the sun... So think about this. Um, they're, they're eating and having a good time and... Um, having parties, and then all of a sudden, everyone who enjoyed that food that was provided by having the mark of the beast are now breaking out in sores, and life is not so good. Okay, and then now they say, well, no, we can't, we can't eat that. And so they go to um, decide to try the Mediterranean diet, and they, they want the seafood. And, well, that, that is taken away from them. And then they say, well, we're going back to the streams and going back to our roots, and, you know, we're going to start fishing again. Well, that's taken away from them. And then the last thing is, you know, they've got the sun, and now God pours out a plague on the sun so that it scorches. Folks, I know it's August. I know it's been hot and humid the last couple of days. Bless your heart, those of you that were out there working on, um, as part of the, the balloon fest. I mean, I was out there for not that long, and oh my goodness. And, and then I know that people are out there all day. It's nothing to what this plague is going to look like. But you see God's con- continually squeezing. And this is God's wrath, and it's God's wrath on Satan, and it's on all those that follow Satan. And then the fifth is the plague is on the beast's throne, where that it is plunged into darkness. Now think about this. The food's gone. The, the, the seawater uh, food is gone. The freshwater food is gone. The sun is now being... The only relief that they were getting was when? At nighttime. And so they look forward to the night and the darkness. And then what does God do? He pours a plague on them so that it's dark all the time. Matter of fact, the way that it's described, it's like a darkness that you can feel. And then, and it says that they, there is pain and gnashing of teeth. They're chewing on their tongues. The very thing that they enjoyed, they thought that they got relief from everything else, and God takes that away from them. And he doesn't stop there. In the sixth plague, in Revelation 16, verse 12, let me read that to you. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and it was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, let me just say something to you. Um, understand where I'm coming from. I believe the Bible very literally, okay? And so when I read about the plagues in Egypt, I believe that those were literal plagues. Um, I believe that when it says that the water parted and the sea, they walked over on dry land, I believe that they walked over on dry land. Um, so now when it says here that the river Euphrates dries up, I believe that the river Euphrates is going to dry up. And, and it's a big river, folks. And what's interesting is, and, and those that, that aren't really uh, keen to the Bible, they'll tell you, well, you know what? They've already put in place a series of dams, and they could stop that water anytime they want. Uh, folks, I don't believe for one second that God needs their dams. Not for one second. And make no mistake about it, when he does it, they'll know who was responsible for that. And so the river Euphrates is going to dry up. And what is it doing? It's preparing a way for the kings from the east. I want you to understand it's plural. And I want you to understand which direction they're coming from. They're coming from east of the Euphrates. 
And then there's a pause. So now what I would encourage you to do is pull out your chart. Just look on the back of your note taker. And, and let me just start at the left and I'm going to kind of work over. And the first thing is I talk to you about a time of 69 weeks. All right. Now this is straight out of the book of Daniel. And, um, and it outlined that there would be 483 years where the nation of Israel were taken out of their country. Why? Because they, had a, they did not listen to God when he said um, that they should uh, recognize every seventh year as a Sabbath year. And so um, for 483 years, they are put in exile. But he, God gives Daniel to the, through the, the mouth and the messenger of the, the archangel Gabriel, he told him that it would be exactly 483 years. If you uh, do a little bit of math, you'll see that's 173,880 days. And now that's going off of the lunar calendar, which was the Hebrew calendar, which was 30-day months, 360-day years. And, there, and, and it said there would be a decree where they were told to go build the city again, and then there would be a date when the Messiah would present himself. And it would be 173,880 days. That happened the, the week before Calvary earlier in, the, in that week. Now, after Calvary, we are experiencing what we call the church age. See, the, the prophets did not know about the church. They did not see that, and I give you some pictures of the mountains and how we don't see what's in the valley behind that mountain, but that's where the church was. And today, we live in that church age. And there's going to come a time when um, the number of people saved through the church will reach its total that God has established. And, and the only person who knows what that number is is God himself. It says that not even the Son, Jesus Christ, knows that. Now, you're going to ask questions that you shouldn't ask, like, uh, but doesn't Jesus know everything? Yes, but he doesn't know what that number is. And what's more importantly is Satan doesn't know what that number is. Because that's who that is being hidden from. And when that number is reached, it is going to be what we call the the Gentiles' fullness has been fulfilled or reached. And there is going to be a time period from that Gentiles' fullness um, where what we call the rapture, where I believe that that all of us that are saved are going to hear a trumpet and while those trumpets are sounding, and, and it's not just one blow, it would be a, a couple blows of the trumpet. And while those, um, the, the trumpet's being blown, that all those that are dead in Christ and rise, their, their parts, I mean, it, Hollywood has nothing on this. All of their parts are going to come back together. And just about the time that they have reached uh, Jesus in the heavens where he's at waiting for them, then I believe that you're going to hear, if you are a Christian, your name called, and an angel say, Get up here. And it's not going to be like in that video that we showed because we had to see it so you could kind of get the idea of the rapture. But you'll be here one second in the twinkling of an eye. And the, the twinkling of an eye is not a blinking of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is the amount of time that it takes light to ref- reflect off of the lens of your eye. It's fast. And in that time, you'll no longer be in this body You'll be in your heavenly body. You'll be present with the Lord. And I do not understand, I do not know the exact time frame from the time that that rapture happens until there's going to be a calendar event where the Antichrist, 
We don't know who he is. Um, you can try to figure it out. You can you know, start looking at political figures. I don't think that you're going to find him on the scene today. Uh, the, the Bible tells us that it's not until he goes into the Holy of Holies and identifies himself as God that he'll be revealed as to who exactly he is. Now, those of us that have been raptured, well, we know who he is because he's going to make a covenant with Israel for seven years. I'm telling you that that covenant's going to happen and no one on the earth is really going to think about it except two witnesses and 144,000. So I don't know how long this interval time is. Um, we are currently in an interval of the church age that's going on 2,000 years. Um, do I think it's going to be 2,000 years? No, I don't. Uh, I think it's a matter of years, if not months, where God will prepare the way. I think that during that interval, a couple things are going to happen. Uh, number one is, if you uh, open up your Bibles, I'm, I'm not going to do this to you today, but um, Psalm 83 talks about a time where all of Israel's surrounding neighbors come against her and attack her. This never happened. It's going to happen. And then not too long after that, I believe that there's a battle described in Ezekiel 38 where it talks about Turkey, Russia, and Germany are going to team up and come against Israel. I believe that that's after that battle when she's kind of, uh, even though she won, she'll probably be uh, depleted militarily. And, and the whole reason why they're doing this is they're wanting to take the spoils. And I don't know if you under, know this, but Israel right now is sitting on the largest oil find in the history of the world. Most oil fields are 35 feet deep. The one that Israel's sitting on is 350 feet deep. They um, are outside of the United States, the number one producer of uh, natural gas. You know, Israel's doing pretty good for a, a nation the size of New Jersey. But what I want you to understand is right above that uh, interval, you see a word called the seals. And so... Um, let me introduce you and kind of go through those seven seals with you. You'll find these in Revelation 16, or I'm sorry, Revelation uh, chapter 6. And I'm just kind of going to read through this and, and talk through each of these. But remember, right there after 6, there's a pause. In this case, during this pause, the 144,000 are sealed. But let me just read through here. Revelation 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened up one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out to conquer, or conquering, and to conquer. Uh, so that first seal has the white horse, and the white horse is all about conquest. We believe that this is where the uh, Antichrist will begin to um, take over the world. Uh, and, and what's interesting, and, and theologians will tell you, if you look at that verse, it says that he has a bow, but it doesn't say anything about arrows. And they believe that, that what that means is he'll actually conquer through peace, where, where, where nations um, will rise up against nation, but he'll be able to come in and, and with words convince people to give up their sovereignty. In verse 3, it says this, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that the people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So the second rider of the red horse 
is going to introduce the, the world to a time of war like we've never seen before. Now imagine that this cataclysmic event, what I told you was probably the most preposterous event, that uh, let, let's just say it's one-sixth of the, the world's population disappears. The chaos that it would create. And because of that chaos, uh, nation is, nations are going to try to take advantage of that and take over other nations, and they'll do this through war. The third in uh, verses 5 and verse 6, let me read to you. When you open the third seal... I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. The black horse that is going to be coming to this world is going to bring a level of famine that we have never experienced. And what's interesting is it's going to affect the bread and the, the staples that would, we would use on a daily basis, but the things, the, the oil and the wine, those luxuries won't be hurt. Well, oil and wine don't help you that much if you don't have what you mix the oil with to make bread. And then we go to the fifth uh, just a note of context, but if you look at each of these seven, whether it's the seven seals, the seven trumpets, or the, the seven um, bowls, you'll notice that the first four are usually packed together. And then the next two are distinct, and then the last one is separate. Study to show yourself approved. Check that out. See what uh, that looks like. But here come the next two in uh, verse uh, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge? Remember, I shared this with you last week. And then wasn't it when he introduced, uh, turned the, the sea into blood that they actually um, said, thank you. This is because they were actually drinking the blood of the saints. And God turns that around and it gives them nothing but that to choose from as their beverage of choice. Here in the, the fifth seal, we see the souls of these martyrs asking, how long is God going to wait? The sixth one in verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. I don't know if you've probably been following some preachers who uh, preach on prophecy, but uh, you've heard of things called the blood moon, and we had four of those happen over the last two or three years. Um, you know, I, I'm all for that, uh, but I don't think that that's the, the, this one here. Uh, there, there'll be no mistake. I don't know if, if when those blood moons happened, if you looked at them, you're like, hmm, you know, that's sort of kind of red. Uh, there's coming a day when there'll be no mistake. It said, the, the sky vanished like a scroll in verse 14 that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? 
And we see there natural disasters, one after the other. And not natural disasters like we think of of a hurricane or we think of an earthquake that has tremors, but where total cities are being devastated, where it says that every island will be moved. Then there's a pause. And then if you jump to, and during that pause, you'll see that the 144,000 were sealed. But in, if you move over to Revelation 8, verse 1, we'll see the seventh seal. And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, what's interesting is um, I, I shared with you that heaven is in a different dimension than, than we are. All right, And that's why in the twinkling of an eye, you can be here and then be in heaven. Be with the Lord. Okay? Um, and so what's interesting is that in that dimension, there is not a thing called time. So when John describes this, it felt like about a half hour, but it wasn't a half hour. It could have been seven years. It could have been, I mean, there are a, many different numbers that it could have been. It could have been one year. It could have been half a year. Doesn't, we don't know, and, and when the time comes, and it, we'll be up there. We'll be watching it. And we'll understand what it looks like. Because I believe we'll be there in heaven when these seals are opened. We'll be observing it just like John was describing it here in Revelation chapter 8. So if you go back to your uh, chart, uh, right now you'll, you'll see right in the middle, there's this thing called Daniel's 70th week. Now I showed you at the very beginning where the first 69 went from the time that the, they were told to go and build, rebuild Jerusalem until Jesus, the Messiah, presented himself to the day. But there was a seven-year period, the 70th week, one week of years or seven years. And during this week, the world is going to, going to be ruled by a man that we call the Antichrist. And he's going to have a cohort that helps him called the false prophet. And what's interesting is, it's not the Antichrist that persecutes the Christians, those who won't take the mark of the beast. It's the false prophet, the leader of a one-world religion that will be in existence. And at that same time, there'll be two witnesses during the first half of that uh, seven years, for three and a half years. They will proclaim the word of God. They will tell the world what's about to happen and and. They will be tried to kill, be killed by many people, and it's not going to turn out well for them. And at the same time that there are 144,000 witnesses that have, are evangelists that are going to go from, to every tribe and every nation throughout the entire uh, world, and they are going to spread the message. But then at the halfway point of this, there's going to occur what you hear in the Bible referred to as the desolation of an abomination. Now, this has happened a couple of times. Matter of fact, um, when the second temple, right before it was destroyed, the Roman uh, ruler of that day took a, the, the largest swine he could find and offered it on the altar. Well, you know that as a Jew, that, that's something they just don't do. They wouldn't let one of those within 100 feet of the temple and hear somebody who's taking this and putting it on the altar and offering it. Well, that's not going to happen. What's actually going to happen, the desolation of abomination, is where the Antichrist will go into the Holy of Holies and he will stand where only God Almighty is supposed to be able to stand and he will proclaim himself to be God. And the false prophet is going to have a, an altar or an image built that looks like the 
Antichrist. An image that can speak, an image that can see the people whether or not they're worshiping it or not and kill them. But if you look to the, to the right of this 70th week, you see that there's a gap there. And I put the word bowls in there. So uh, here's what I believe. If you look at that chart, I think that the seals will start. If not before, they'll start right after the rapture. Now, remember this. They aren't necessarily chronological. Or, or they're not necessarily in order the way that we understand. Because if you looked at the fifth one where it talked about the martyrs, that's going all the way to the end. And all of those who were killed during the tribulation. Okay, So these seals are very big and, and, and it goes from the time of the rapture all the way till Christ's second coming. Then you go to the trumpets, which I just went through, and I believe that these trumpets are going to happen during Daniel's 70th week. And so over a seven-year period, what I described in those first six are going to be occurring. Now, if you look at the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bowl, they all refer to the same event, and I'll show that to you at the very end. But what you probably are, are wondering about is, um, what's that little gap in time? Well, if you open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, and I think I've got that on the chart, and I put a little arrow, Daniel 12, 11, and I put to this little gap here. Now, the problem is that if I showed you those 69 weeks, that gap is not equivalent to the seven weeks, right, on the, the way that that paper lays out. And so you see this here, and, and literally, I just made it wide enough so that I could put those letters for uh, bowls in between there. But I think that this is a 30-day period. Think about this. If God's wrath is poured out, and he does exactly what he says he's going to do, and he says that he uh, will pour um, and get rid of all the salt water, then he's going to get rid of um, all of the fresh water, how long as humans can we live? Well, not very long. And if he took the sun and he allowed the sun to scorch people, how long are people going to be able to live? Not very long. And if he, if he uh, puts the, the plague where they're cast into darkness and they can't see anything, it's, how long? Well, I believe that it's answered right here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. Let me read this to you. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. That's where the Antichrist goes into the temple and he proclaims that he is God. He is the ruler, the creator of all things. The ultimate blasphemy. It says, from the time that that happens, there shall be 1,290 days. Now, if you do public math real quickly, you'll know that in Daniel's 70th week, that the first half is made up of 1,260 days. And the second half, guess how, how many it's made up of? 1,260 days. Now, did God make a mistake and tell Daniel something different? No. Because I believe that that 1,260 days is going to happen, and then God is going in over a 30-day period, he's going to pour out his wrath. Because I think anything, and the Bible tells us that if Jesus didn't come back when he did, no flesh could live, could survive. 
2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourselves approved unto God. Because not only does he say 1,290, but then he says, listen to this in verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335-day mark. But go your way till the end. You wonder what's going to happen at the 1,335-day mark? Come back next week. I'll share that with you. Let me go over the seven trumpets. In Revelation 8 and verse 7. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. When is this going to happen? I believe it's during that seven-year period of Daniel's 70th week. In verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. Verse 8 and 9, we'll see the second trumpet. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire. Now, now listen, look at the words. Something like a great mountain. Does that mean it was a great mountain? No, it was something like a... Yeah, so this is the way John described it. Now, we may call it something different today. We may call it an asteroid. We may call it a meteor. We may call it something else. But I'll bet that when we see pictures of it, or those that are here see pictures of it on CNN, they're going to call it a great mountain. Because that's what it's going to look like. Verses 10 and 11, it says, The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Now understand this, this is not the seals. A lot of people try to, to, to bring those and put those together. Uh, it's not the same thing. And, and God is very precise in what he says. Let's take a look at the fourth one. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and read in verse 12, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Now, let me just ask you something, if you know anything about what the sun and moon and, uh, mean. But when something like that happens, is it just going to be like an eclipse where it's going to be a little, you know, I don't know if y'all re- remember the eclipse of, uh, two years ago. And um, I thought that was fascinating over a five-minute period where, you know, the crickets came out and they were, they were chirping. And um, I don't know what else all was happening, but, you know, we were at that, that path of totality right here. And so um, when a third of the moon and a third of the sun is affected, is it going to change things here on this earth? It is. What are some things that it's going to change? It's going to change weather patterns. What are some things that's going to change? It's going to change the tide. You know, so um, as fishermen, if you live on a, uh, anywhere on an ocean, you know what the tide is. You, you watch that, right? Because uh, you don't want to get caught either out when you want to be in or in when you want to be out. Well, that's all going to be turned upside down because one-third of the moon and one-third of the sun is affected. But he doesn't stop there. There comes a sixth trumpet in verse 13. Then I looked and heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. In 
And the fifth angel blew his trumpet in verse nine or chapter nine, verse one. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. We call these volcanoes. Then the smoke came, I'm sorry, then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings somebody. Now, I don't believe that these locusts are real locusts. They're like locusts. They, have, they sting like a scorpion. But if you look in Jude 1.5, it says that the angels that had fallen had been taken and put into a place very much like this, bottomless pit. And if you keep reading, you'll find out that these guys have a um, ruler that rules over them. And, and the name of the, uh, I don't know if you would call him a demon or the fallen angel, uh, was Apollon. Again, study to show yourself approved. You'll see that in verse 11. They have a, as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, he is called Apollyon. Verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard the voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Listen to this. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. That adds up to 200 million. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do that kind of math, but there are only three countries in this world that could possibly... They even have enough people in their population to field an army of 200 million. And that's China, India, or Korea. Remember I told you that um, when we, we heard about the sixth bowl, that the river, great river Euphrates was dried up so that the kings, plural, of the east could bring their army. And how big is their army? Well, we see it right here, 200 million. I don't think we can even fathom what 200 million looks like. When we went to Desert Storm, it took us six months to get a couple hundred thousand soldiers onto the ground. And so it's going to take months for 200 million men to move to the Middle East. And the only way that it's possible, you know, a modern technology, and as a matter of fact, there's scoffers that will say, well, you know what, they could just fly them there. I don't believe that there's enough aircraft today that can move a 200 million man army. And so unless that river were dried up, they wouldn't be able to get over there. Let's go to the seventh trumpet. Need to jump over to Revelation chapter 11. And I'll start reading in verse 15. Pretty significant pause there. But if you go to 11, chapter 15, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, 
and he shall reign forever and ever. A couple of things that uh, you, you may not be aware of, but um, who is the king of this world right now? It's Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. Watch. Watch where the seventh bowl was poured. But let me continue here. In, 20, in verse 16, And 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Doesn't say anymore that he is to come because he's come. For you have taken your great power and began to reign. The, na- the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Folks, if you weren't listening to Mary, the king is coming. The last time he came to us, he came as a young infant. He lived a life where he was rejected by his own people. And he was crucified on a cross. The next time he comes, he is coming as the king of kings. He is coming as a warrior. He is coming to rule on this earth, literally, physically, just like he was the first time. And he's going to do this for a thousand years. Let me just jump you back to the seven bowls one more time, and let's look at the seventh. Revelation 16 and verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts. Let's talk about Jerusalem. And the cities of the nation fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And the great hailstones, listen to this, about 100 pounds each. I've seen it on Facebook when when hailstones the size of golf balls, people go and collect them, and they put them in their freezers. The size of baseballs, they, you know, now I don't know about you, but if you have a nice car, um, those golf ball size hails do some damage. What do you think a hundred pound piece of hail is going to do? And the great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on the people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. And remember when this is happening? This happened after the plague was poured out on the land and their food source was spoiled. Then it was poured out on the oceans and their sea source for food was dried up. Then it was poured out on the rivers and the freshwater sources of food were destroyed. Then the sun comes out and starts scorching them. Then they've been living in a utter darkness. And then all of a sudden this hail comes. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19. I just want to share with you a couple of different passages. 
And so I've just read to you Revelation 16, 17, and 21. Now let me read to you Revelation 19, 11 through 21. And what's happened between 21 and chapter 16 up until uh, 19 and verse 11, it's describing it. And, and if, if you are a, a Jewish historian, this all makes sense to you because what would happen is, kind of like with the seals, they would tell the entire story and then they'd go back and tell it in detail. And that's what's happening in that, in that gap there between uh, 16 verse 21 and 19 verse 10. That there are a couple of things. They, they talk about Babylon being destroyed, and that is where the Antichrist called home, where's his headquarters. Not only that, but it says that the, um, the, the prostitute, the one world religion, was destroyed. And it goes through and describes exactly how that will happen. But then we get to chapter 19 and verse 11, and it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. I don't know if you caught this, but if you were reading in earlier uh, chapters of Revelation, Jesus was sitting on the throne, on God's throne. During the time of this judgment, Jesus was given that position where he pronounced judgment. The man who came and lived a perfect life, who died for all of us, who was rejected by many, he was the one judging during Daniel's 70th year. And now he's off that throne. God has taken his place once more and he is sitting on a horse and it says that his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed, that's us, folks. Those who are taken in the rapture, we are going to be a part of this army. We who have just finished up a seven-year wedding feast, I'll tell you about that in a couple weeks. And it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of the king, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he received those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came out from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Now it's interesting, I told you this week I'm going to be talking about the battle of Armageddon. And what's interesting is most people think about the battle and, and it's going to be this, this long drawn out war. It's not. The battle of Armageddon, which if you looked at Revelation 16 and verse 21, it, it refers to this place that they were gathered called Har-Mageddon or Armageddon. 
But all that is is where the, the, the kings of the world, and it talks about them, the king of the north, the king of the south, the king of the east with this 200 million men, and the king of the west, which is the Antichrist. They come, and instead of going to fight each other, who are they going to try to fight? They're going to try to fight God himself because he has just poured out his wrath on the world for 30 days. And instead of repenting, they are beyond repentance. They now defy themselves and they defy their creator. Turn over to Zechariah chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and this gives a description of what just happened. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Verse 3. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Does that sound like an earthquake? It's the same earthquake that will divide Jerusalem into three parts. So that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley from my, of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in those days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Who are the holy ones? That's right, it's us. It's his army. And don't think about this. If you've never had military training, you don't have to worry about it. Because in God's army, you don't have to do anything. Verse 6, and on that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. I'm going to share the rest of that passage with you next week. But before we get there, let me ask you something. Are you ready? Are you ready for the king to come? Are you ready to stand before your God? You know, sometimes we, we don't realize but we allow things to get between us and God. And let me just ask you, as I've read to you some of uh, what's going to happen in Revelation, I've gone through the trumpets and the seals and the, the bowls. But more important than that, because if you are saved, you will have been raptured out of here. You won't be around for that. You'll be seeing some of it. More important is today, what is standing between you and God? You know, for many people, they'll allow an intellect. I'm sure that I'm not the only person who has heard uh, people at places that I've worked call me a fool for believing the Bible. But it's that same intellect that will keep them from being a part of that rapture. You know, the Bible tells us that we need the faith of a little child. We need the kind of faith that my grandsons have in me. That if, if, if they're in my arms, it doesn't matter what's happening. It's going to be okay. You know, we need that kind of faith in this scripture right here. The word of God. And that when we're held up by this word, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who's making fun of you. 
But you know, I also think that there's probably people here that don't just let the intellect keep them and separate them from God, but we let our family, our relationships. You know, I believe that every one of us here have been called. God has a purpose on your life. God has something that he needs you to do. And if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. How many things are not getting done for God? Because we've allowed our relationships to get in the way. If you just took personal inventory, you probably started thinking about many of those things that you've stopped doing or didn't do. And you know that God had called you to that. Maybe it's not the intellect. Maybe it's not our family. Maybe it's our possessions that we've allowed to get between us and God. Folks, that boat, that car, that job, all of that stuff will mean nothing if you leave this earth without knowing Christ as your Savior. Nothing. There's nothing. You know, we've just introduced to you that we are going to challenge you as a church to begin to pray for who's your one? Who's that one person that right now that just came to your mind that you know that they there's a much greater chance that they do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior than that they do? Who's your one? And more importantly, what are you willing to do about it? Folks, I got chills when Mary's saying the king is coming. I know where I'm going to be when he comes. But my heart breaks. Because there's friends, there's family that I'm not so sure. I know what I'm willing to do. Church, are you ready? Are you really ready? If you've got it established in your heart and you know that you are going to be taken The only reason God leaves us here is for those people, our ones. I bet that it's not just one though, is it? Might run out of fingers when you start counting. Folks, that is why God has called us to gather here at Temple Baptist Church. Our mission is the Great Commission and that we are to go to the uttermost parts of the earth the problem is to get to the uttermost part of the earth, you've got to go across the street first. But how many of us are not willing to do that? If you would, stand to your feet. I want to just lead us in a prayer. And then I want you to listen to the words that Gary's about to sing. And, the, and, and, and just be in a moment of invitation. 
I don't know if you want to come up here. The altar is open today. Or will you pray where you're at? You know what? It doesn't matter. God is an all-knowing God. But I would bet that there's probably somebody in this room that needs to see you move before they'll move. If, while I've been preaching today, you realize that you are not ready to see your Savior. You are not ready to see the Creator of the world. I'm just going to lead us all in a prayer. And you have an opportunity. Now is the time. Today is the day. You do not know if you'll be able to be back here next Sunday. I don't know if I'll be back here next Sunday. Let's redeem the time. If you recognize that you've you've never asked Jesus in your heart, pray a simple prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I believe that you came to this earth and lived a perfect life. And you did this so that you could die on that cross and pay for my sins. Sins that the only way that I can pay for would be with my own life. God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that you raised him again from the dead three days later, and that today he sits at the right hand of you. I turn from my sin, and I turn to you, my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I would encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, it's the first time you've done that, fill out one of our prayer cards and mark on the bottom where it says making a commitment to Christ. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.